Welcome to the Disability Parenting Podcast, where stories unite, community thrives, and validation is paramount for parents raising children with disabilities. I am your host, Lexi Emery, and I'm thrilled to have you here with us today. Today's episode is such an insightful journey into the topic that resonates deeply with so many of us parents, and that is adapting expectations versus reality. And the profound impact of mentality when raising a child with autism or a different condition or disability. I am beyond excited to introduce you all to our lovely guest today, Molly Ida. Molly and I share a unique bond, having met through a mutual friend who recognized just a common thread between us of motherhood and having children the same age. And at the time, they had both been recently diagnosed with autism, and Molly was the first friend I connected with who had a shared journey with me, and we like instantly connected and bonded very deeply, very quickly, and I am just very forever grateful for her presence in my life. So today we'll be delving into Molly's experiences, exploring the nuances of adapting expectations First reality and understanding why mentality plays such an important role in the journey of raising her son with autism. So without further ado, let's welcome Molly Ida to the Disability Parenting Podcast. Molly, welcome. Thank you. I am so excited to be here today. I'm so happy you're here. It is such an honor. And I would love if you could just share a little bit more about yourself and your family's journey. Of course. I was born and raised here in Colorado, met my husband in high school. The two of us later got married and moved to Salt Lake City in 2015 and lived there for six years. I have my bachelor's degree in elementary education and worked as a kindergarten and first grade teacher some of the six years that we were living in Utah. We had two kids while living out there and also brought home a golden retriever puppy And then moved back to Colorado in 2022. Both of our families were here, and it was a great move, great choice for us to be back in our home state. And currently, I am a stay-at-home mom the majority of the time, but have just kind of started working very, very part-time as a substitute teacher. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing all that with us. And we have like a lot of parallels of we were born and raised in Colorado, we moved away, and then moved back pretty quickly after once our you know children had their diagnosis and things yes. like that so we we have just like a very common thread that has been cool yes. to to learn about but well thank you for sharing all of that and mm-hmm. before we delve into the main discussion I would love to get to know you just a bit better so I have a three questions I ask every guest on the podcast first what is your happy place and then what is your favorite drink and what is your favorite personality trait for yourself all right my happy place is a little mountain town called Vale here in Colorado. Interestingly enough, I love going up in the summer. I am not a skier, but I love going to the mountains in the summer. So love being up there in Vale or really just on the couch next to my husband when the kids are tucked in upstairs after a long day. That always is a very great moment as well. Favorite beverage? I love Starbucks, especially their seasonal drinks. They have a pistachio latte right now that is so good. So that's my current favorite. 
And then personality trait, I have to say, I love being connected and in community with people. And that trait has just led to a lot of really solid friendships in Colorado and all across the country at this point. And that is a huge blessing in my life. So definitely thankful for that part of me. Hmm, Yes. And I would very much agree. That is a lovely trait. And thank you for sharing that. Those are all so Mm -hmm. fun. And before we get more into your topic, I would also love to just hear a little bit more about your son and what his journey has been like so far. Absolutely. So my sweet boy is named Arlo. He is four and a half and he's my firstborn. I also have a two, almost three-year-old girl named Rosie. But Arlo is mostly who my story today is about. So he was born in 2019. And again, we were living in Utah at the time with all of both of our families back here in Colorado. And by 18 months, we noticed that his speech wasn't developing as typical or as we had hoped. So our first kind of step into everything was to start speech therapy with early intervention when he was 18 months old. And around that same time, a couple months later, Rosie was born in March of 2021. Arlo was 20 months old at that point, so not not even two yet. And we knew that that two under two age gap would be challenging. But Rosie was born and we were all home together and it was hard, very hard. And it was around that time we really started noticing Arlo's reactions to her sounds and her crying more consistently, which makes sense. You know, we kind of told ourselves he was just adjusting to being a big brother, having a little baby in the house. And we hoped it would get better with exposure. But as she kept growing older, it didn't seem to get any better. It actually seemed to get worse and was definitely a a pattern and a routine in our home, which was very hard. So by January 2022, we kind of knew we were ready to move back to Colorado. And luckily, we're able to do that in April that same year. So once we moved to Colorado, we quickly tried to get his early intervention services transferred over and began working with providers out here. But at that point, he turned three after only three more months of Colorado early intervention. And early intervention is a wonderful program, but it is for kids from birth up to three. So when he turned three years old, his services stopped. And at that point, we just kind of found ourselves in this in-between where things were still very hard. We were still having you know, concerns and noticing things that just didn't seem typical, but we weren't getting services anymore, and we really didn't know what to do next. But thankfully, right around that same time, we had our first visit with our new pediatrician here in Colorado. And as we sat with her and talked through kind of his history and shared, you know, here's what we've been doing therapy for, and here's what we've noticed. And she also kind of noticed and observed him reacting to, again, Rosie's sounds, different sounds in the clinic that day. She was the one who actually brought up the topic of an autism evaluation with us. And it's interesting because looking back now at the big picture, it is easy to see. But, you know, autism spectrum disorder is a spectrum. There are a lot of different cases, a lot of different markers or things that would point you in that direction. And Arlo has always been kind of a borderline case where there were some things that definitely lined up with autism and some things that definitely didn't. For example, he's very verbal, thank you to the the speech therapy that we started early on. 
And he's also very social. And those are typically not things that align with autism. So we just never really knew that that should be something we should pursue. And we're always very thankful to our pediatrician who was so (laughs) felt kind of uncomfortable bringing that up with us the first time she met us, but ended us ended up referring us and he was diagnosed with level two autism spectrum disorder in August of 2020. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing that and just a little bit about like what his journey was like. And I always find it so fascinating, especially with autism, because it's so unique to age family, to each kid, to each state. Like it is so interesting. And I, I'm really grateful you're able to share some of that with us. Well, awesome, Molly. Well, she is going to be sharing and talking with us about the four mentality shifts she's had over the years and ways that have really helped her. And she's going to explore more too with us about that concept of expectation versus reality and how that has played along with her son's diagnosis in her parenting journey so far. So Molly, I would love if you would take it away and just kind of start with sharing what those mentalities are and then, yeah, just go, go for it. Thank you. Yeah. This was obviously, you know, a really big milestone event in my life and in my son's life for sure. And I have definitely learned since then and have benefited from a couple different mentality shifts that I have made that have just really absolutely helped me in the past year and a half. The first one is that I was created to experience grief as an emotion, and it is important to let myself grieve. You know, grief is good. It is natural and it's needed. I think a lot of times I personally have felt this, and I would guess that many people have as well. We feel the need to just kind of push through, just pull up by my bootstraps and, you know, keep on and carry on. And I also find myself sometimes falling into the trap of comparison, looking at other people's situations and almost kind of telling myself like, you know what, they have it more difficult than me, so I need to be okay. I just need to move on and deal with it. And what I have learned is that all of those thoughts, telling myself all of those things actually has a term and it is called repressive coping, which is basically keeping your feelings in. And what was so interesting about that to me, I did a little bit of research on this before sitting down with you. What was so interesting to me is that repressive coping affects us mentally. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. It can cause stress, anxiety, and depression, but it actually affects our bodies physically as well. It can lead to a less resilient immune system, cardiovascular disease, and hypertension. So keeping your feelings in like that actually is really unhealthy on so many different levels. So again, we were created to grieve and we should. Um, Another really cool thing that I have learned is that the act of crying when you are so sad or grieving so much that you just have to, you know, burst into tears actually physically and emotionally helps our body. So again, did a little research, learned that there are actually three different types of tears. You have your basal or continuous tears that keep your eyes moist. So you're welcome to all the listeners who love that (laughs) word. (laughs) I had to slip that in there. There are also reflex and irritant tears, which is when something gets in your eye and your eye tries to flush it out of your system and remove it. But this specific kind of tears I'm talking about are emotional tears. So obviously that can be happy or sad, either emotion that prompts you to cry. And what's interesting about 
emotional tears is that the chemical makeup of these tears is actually different depending on your emotion. So if you're crying happy tears, whether it's from laughter or anything like that, your tears are filled with serotonin. But on the other hand, when you cry sad tears, those tears are actually filled with cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And it's actually your body's natural way of literally flushing some of that stress out of your body. And at the same time, as you are releasing cortisol, it also releases oxytocin and endorphins into your brain, which lift your mood and help heal your physical and emotional pain at the same time. So I just find it so amazing that literally crying from sadness, your body body is created and knows at this point to get rid of the bad things and start lifting your body and helping you to just kind of reset, which I'm just amazed by. And I have been a Christian my whole life. I have leaned so much more heavily on my faith this past year and a half since Arlo's diagnosis. And a verse that has always just been really special to me, really close to my heart, but especially in, again, this past year and a half is Matthew 5, 4. And it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So when I was learning about these emotional tears and the sad tears in particular, I feel like the science backs up that verse right there. The chemical composition of our tears puts that verse into action where it just shows my body was created to cry so that I can be comforted. And I think that is so important for us to remember. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, I like when we were kind of chatting about this the first time we were talking about this podcast and going over what we we're going to talk about, I was like blown away because I feel like, again, so, so much of the important things in life, I feel like are not taught in school. And like, I had no concept that tears did anything other than just like drain salty water out of your eyes. Like right. I, I think it's incredible. Just the reaction of the hormones and all of that and it's it's so true I catch myself all the time holding it in holding it in holding it in and then after you get a good cry out and you know dry your eyes off you just feel lighter your chest is less heavy like it is just a physical reaction and I absolutely love that you're able to share that with us and I I love the concept as well of that grief can be good. I think grief mm-hmm. is so often feared and we try and do everything to escape it. But I love that you share there can be beauty in the grief as well. And that even though it is hard and it doesn't necessarily feel beautiful in the moment, like that there's a purpose to it. Mm, definitely. And I think it's so important to share that first and foremost. Because the next three kind of mentality shifts that I'm going to talk about are more about how to make a conscious effort to have kind of a more positive mindset. But I think it's so important to remember that first and foremost, let yourself grieve. You can't skip over that part and just go straight to like, okay, but I have to be happy. Mm -hmm. Grieving truly is such an important part of life itself. Yes, totally agree. Well, cool. Well, I'd love to, to move into the next one and just hear what the next kind of mentality shift was for you. Definitely. So the next three that I'm going to talk about, again, are all a mindset shift that I have had to continuously practice over the past 18 months. And I think it's really cool because in a situation where I don't have much control and we do kind of feel like we have to keep learning and moving and things like that, my mindset is a choice that I can make. So that is kind of one of the most powerful things that I can do at this point. 
and I have learned to almost, you know, kind of take captive or stop thoughts if I get to a point and I can just see I'm, you know, going down kind of a rabbit trail and having a hard time with whatever I'm thinking about. I have learned to stop where I am and to choose to view whatever's going on from a different lens. And so here are some of the lenses that I have taught myself to start using. The first one is looking at things with expectancy instead of expectations. And here's what I mean by that. Um, Anytime you have expectations, chances are it has a good chance of leading to disappointment at best and frustration or discouragement or despair, among other things at worst. Getting Arlo's autism diagnosis shattered some of the expectations I had for his life. I, you know, didn't even realize it when I was pregnant and getting ready to become a mom, but I just automatically started assuming that his life would look a certain way. And getting his diagnosis started kind of challenging that and just made it so that it wasn't quite a sure thing. There are just things that I thought I could assume about his life that are just a little less known. For example, you know, will he make good friends and be invited to birthday parties? Will he participate in team sports and activities? Will he be able to launch and move away from home when he's older? Will he get married and have a family? All of those thoughts very quickly can make me feel very, very discouraged when we are trying to kind of face what is ahead of us with his autism diagnosis. And like I said, I have learned to kind of stop those thoughts in their tracks and tell myself like, you know what, we are going to cross that bridge when we get to it. And we just need to focus on what we can do now. But anyways, I learned very quickly that one of the hardest parts of being a mom of a child with autism is learning that the expectations or hopes that I had may not look the way I originally pictured it. Um, So like I said, Arlo got diagnosed in August of 2022. So later that year in December, leading up to Christmas, a sweet friend sent me an excerpt from an Advent study that she was doing. And it was the first time I had heard this concept of expectancy, and it just absolutely blew my mind. So I actually went back and found the quote. The book is called Emmanuel. It's a Christmas Advent book. And here's the quote she sent me. Expectations leave us weary and discontent, believing we deserve more or better. They always leave us unfulfilled and doubtful about whether God is for our good. But expectancy is anticipation mingled with joy. It's believing God is who he says he is while waiting patiently for his good to be revealed, however he chooses to reveal it. And that just really, like I said, truly blew my mind and gave me such a better appreciation for how I could continue on helping Arlo and walking him through life, knowing about his autism diagnosis now. The act of choosing anticipation of what's to come instead of setting an expectation, which will most likely fail, has been monumental in my life. It works for our day-to-day moments. It works for big milestone moments. Lexi, I loved one of your recent episodes holidays unfiltered. You came out with it right around Christmas. And I think it really spoke to this exact thing where um, holidays are going to look different for families like ours. We have kids who are neurodivergent. And so there are a lot of very like typical or traditional things that most families can look forward to that our families can't because it doesn't it doesn't turn out in the same way. It doesn't always go well. And it's not always a sweet, happy time. Um, and 
putting the idea of expectancy into the works as we faced Christmas really helped in so many ways. And that was kind of the first time I tried it, that Christmas of 2022. But even from this past Christmas, for us, it meant that when we were planning out our Christmas season, we didn't include going to see Santa. That wasn't on our list of things to do. Um, And there's a couple reasons why that just doesn't work as well for Arlo and subsequently for our whole family. But it meant that we didn't have to stand in line needing to wait. And while we were waiting, we would have been around a, a lot of other kids, potentially some loud, some crying, all things that are really hard on Arlo. Um, And then, you know, once you get to the front of the line, you have to sit with a stranger and then look directly at a camera and smile. And those things are really challenging for him as well. So the whole Santa experience as a whole, we could have pushed through and we could have really tried to make it work. And honestly, it probably wouldn't have. And that can feel really disappointing. So you know, we don't have a picture of my kids sitting with Santa this year, like many other families do. And I have learned to not set that up as an expectation for Christmas. Christmas is not defined by a picture with Santa for our family. Mm. And I was able to go through the season still very thankful for what we did experience, because I had that mindset of expectancy. Okay, there are going to be things that other people get to do that we maybe don't get to do, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong or that it's disappointing. We can still have a beautiful Christmas season, even though ours might look different. And so for us instead, that looked like driving to look at Christmas lights almost every other night in December. That was what Christmas 2023 will be remembered as in our house was the year that both my kids just really got into grabbing blankets, getting in the car and driving around our city and looking at all the different houses lit up with Christmas lights. And that's where we put our time and attention. And it was good, sweet time. And it was good for Arlo. It was good for Rosie. And because they were able to enjoy it, my husband and I were as well. And that's just one of those examples of, again, not drawing the line at something that has to be a part of your season, your life, your experience for it to be good. But instead knowing that like, okay, it may not include this, but I can choose to believe that there is going to be good that comes out of our situation and still meets our needs right where we are. Oh, Molly. Yes, 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 yes. I love this part that you just talked about because one, it's just very, very tender and near to my heart. Currently, I mean, it has been for as long as we've had our daughter. And truly, if I can look back my entire life, I am somebody who has always set my expectations very high and can really embellish and create these like very unrealistic expectations of how I think things are going to go and how they're going to happen. And then so often I felt let down and then bring kids into it and having that sense of like what you thought things were going to be like. And then when they're not realizing that just because they're not the way you thought they were going to be, that doesn't mean that they're bad. But yeah, I just really loved when you brought up the part about anticipation versus expectation and a visual that kind of like came to my mind when you were talking about that is like anticipation is setting you up for light. It's setting you up for 
the potential for more joy to get in, the potential for more of those moments where you can see the little things that are good and the little things that are wonderful. Whereas expectation, I think, sets you up, like you had mentioned, for disappointment, discouragement, like the mindset of everything is hard and everything is more in that like dark space. So just like kind of that like light versus dark. And then I think what's cool too is like when you can change this mentality, it really leads to creating new experiences that you didn't even expect, that you didn't have a chance to visualize for yourself because things aren't going just the way you thought they would. So I love that, you know, instead of visiting Santa, you created a new memory and hopefully, you know, something like that can become a tradition and it can be, you know, part of your family culture that probably would not have come to fruition had you decided, you know, we're not doing lights every night. It's too repetitive. We're going to see Santa. We're going to get the picture. You know, I just love that you've really embraced that. I think that's beautiful. And I just love that you shared that with us. Thank you. It, It really was a really sweet season. And I do think it just goes to show, like you said, when you, approach something with anticipation, it does leave so much room for joy and for excitement and happy, fun memories to fill it. And I have just seen that proven over and over, kind of approaching things with expectancy. And that that has been major for our whole family. Mm, I love that. Cool. Well, let's head into the next one, your, your third kind of mentality here. I'd love to hear what it is. Okay, yes. The next thing I have learned and have had to practice telling myself over and over and over is that the concept of something being hard and the concept of something being good are not mutually exclusive, that hard and good can coexist and that it's an and not but mentality. And Lexi, I actually saw you post something on the disability parenting um, Instagram saying this exact thing the other day. Yes. It is huge mentality wise. So again, I think when you are walking through something really challenging, whether it is a season or whether it is kind of facing something that now will be a factor for the rest of your life, it is difficult to not only focus on the hard. I think our brains are almost kind of hardwired to do that and focus on what is challenging, what is hard, what is discouraging right now. It takes so much more intentionality to look for the good. But what I have found is that the good is always there. I just have to make sure and keep looking Mm -hmm. for it. Um, So, you know, this was something that I really, really had to lean into after we got Arlo's diagnosis. That was, again, in August. So he, at the time, was three years old. He was getting ready to start a preschool program at our church. And, you know, again, speaking of expectations, that was one that I had set in my mind that my kids would go to a sweet little church preschool for a couple years before they entered kindergarten. And that was just going to be a really sweet time where they'd be gone, you know, maybe a couple hours a week, but they'd be at a church learning from sweet teachers and, and things like that. And before his diagnosis, I had him registered and signed up and things were all going according to to my plan. But once we got his diagnosis and once we started into that preschool program, we realized that truly it wasn't the best choice for him at that point. And so what we ended up doing 
after having him at that school for a semester, we ended up pulling him out of preschool and made the choice for him to go to an ABA therapy clinic full time. Um, And I'll just stop here and say ABA therapy is kind of an autism hot button topic. Mm-hmm. And I get that there are a lot of different angles and nuances and things like that to it. So I'll just take a second to explain really fast. ABA is an autism-specific therapy. And when we got Arlo's autism diagnosis, the evaluator who diagnosed him that day recommended that we start looking into ABA to help him in a lot of different areas, but specifically with the sound sensory challenges that I have already mentioned here before. Um, and so while he was still enrolled in the preschool, we, again, loved the staff there. They were the dearest, sweetest people. And we are so, so thankful for them and who they were in our lives at that time, because we, we were really reeling after his diagnosis and they were exactly who we needed in our lives and Arlo's life. But what we realized was that he wasn't ready to just kind of be thrown into a classroom with kids and expected to sit still and listen or play and make friends or things like that. There were a lot of things that he felt really uncomfortable with. And we, you know, wanted to provide him with tools to be able to function well in a setting like that, but also just the confidence to know like, hey, I'm a great kid and I can be a part of this group and add something to it instead of removing myself and being on the fringes because I'm feeling really nervous and feeling a lot of anxiety here. So again, we started looking into different ABA clinics. We really did our due diligence. We found clinics and we liked their therapy approach. We toured multiple clinics. We ended up narrowing down between two different spots, had both of them do an evaluation and let us know kind of, you know, the hours that they would recommend, what they would focus on and things like that. And ultimately, we decided to start him in ABA therapy full time, which meant that my at the time he was three and a half years old started into a full-time program where he was gone Monday through Friday from eight in the morning until four in the afternoon. So talk about my expectations not being met. Um, Mm -hmm. I was thinking that he'd be out of the house maybe like five or six hours a week. And suddenly he was equivalently working a full-time job like my husband. And that was so hard. It was so hard to kind of let go and relinquish that. And, you know, it was hard to not see him as much anymore. And and that's really saying something because as I have said before, our time at home was not easy. It was not, I would not say it was going well. But I also didn't want to just, you know, have him gone all the time, all of a sudden. It felt like a really big jump. But the more we looked into it, the more we talked about it, prayed about it, thought about it, we realized that this truly would be a really great option for Arlo and felt like the right thing to do at that point in his life would to be to press pause on preschool, pull him out, put him in this therapy where, again, he could just be equipped with different tools and resources where we could work together with a professional therapy team to help us help him 
and, you know, the goal was always to be able to integrate him back into mainstream education. But to do that, we felt like we needed to stop at that point and not keep pushing something that that really wasn't working for him. So it was the right choice for Arlo and it was the right choice for our family, but it was so hard. We essentially gave up a year of time with him. One, you know, big part of ABA therapy is it is supposed to be consistent. And that's something Arlo really thrives on routine and consistency. So that, again, is something that was so good for him, but hard for me. It meant that he didn't have a summer break and he wasn't home for a week for spring or fall break. And you know, again, talking about comparison, I, I saw my friends and family members who got to be with their kids during, you know, different times of the year. And I didn't get to. And that was really hard for me. But there was so much good happening all at the same time. Just some of the things that we have seen change in the past year. My kids' relationship has improved so much. They are the mm-hmm. sweetest little buddies now. They miss each other during the day. They are so happy when we all get home at night and they're reunited and they can play. They love weekends because they love their time together. And we went from a scenario where any time Rosie would make a noise, Arlo, it would really trigger him, really set him off. And suddenly I would have two kids crying and was trying to figure out, well, who can I help so that the other one will calm down and rinse and repeat over and over in a single day to now having these two kids, almost three and four years old, who truly are best friends. And I know that the past year that we've had and the practice and therapy and again, tools and things like that have helped Arlo to really be able to just enjoy being with his sister instead of being anxious around her. And that has just been the sweetest thing to see. And again, we so look forward to our nights and weekends together as a family. And yes, we would love more family time. But the time that we have apart during the week has really made our nights and weekends so much more sweet. And in the past, Colin and I had to almost kind of divide and conquer where one of us would take Mm -hmm. one kid and the other would take the other and we would separate and, you know, have little special individual time, which is great and has its place for sure. But we were really struggling to have time together as a family. And that is not an issue anymore, which we are just so thankful for. And then just a couple other cool things. Arlo has made such huge progress in this year and some of some of the biggest things for him. He can name his own emotions. He's very, very in tune with himself and how he feels. Mm and also can recognize on others how they might be feeling based on their voice, their face, their actions, things like that. But he also advocates then for how he's feeling. He can verbalize it to us. He can tell us, I'm feeling frustrated because, or it makes me feel sad when you, things like that. And there is just so much power in that and being able to advocate for himself and verbalize in that way. And he has also learned at the clinic what to do when he feels a certain way. And we have visuals at home so he can go and, you know, choose a picture if he needs help that way. But even he, it feels like he's even kind of graduated beyond that where he just has almost just kind of a mental toolbox. And he knows if I'm feeling this way, here is something that could help. I can ask for my headphones if I'm feeling overwhelmed. I can go jump on the trampoline if I'm feeling really jittery. And if we talk about it as his engine, but if his engine is revving and he needs to calm down and he's doing that completely by himself now, 
which is just night and day difference from before we started. And it's so great to know or watch him use the tools that he has been taught and to watch him regulate himself at home or now when we're out and about, when we're at other people's houses, just like I said, night and day difference. So um, we are just about one year beyond when we had to make that decision, when we stopped preschool and when we started the 40-hour weeks at the ABA clinic. And we are so excited. One year later, we are already working on tapering back his hours. He is part-time now. So instead of that 40-hour week that he had throughout the year, he now goes 20 hours a week. And this just a couple weeks ago now, we got to add preschool back into the routine. He started back up in a pre-K classroom and he goes four mornings a week. And they are already talking with us, anticipating graduating him from the ABA program, probably within the next six months. So I just can't, I mean, I could keep saying over and over what a right choice it was for us, but I also distinctly remember and still sometimes feel how hard it is at the same time. And I just, in those moments, just have to remind myself, it is hard and good. (laughs) What we are doing is hard and it is good. And there truly is such a balance of both. Oh, Molly, yes. I just am so thrilled you brought this up because clearly I'm already passionate about this. I've talked about it before. I, I feel like it's a big pillar of my life as well and has just made such an impact and I tell myself both and all the time and I think as humans we just go towards things are black and white so either we are in a wonderful phase of life and it's joy and it's pure and it's wonderful or we're in a state of grief and we're struggling and things are hard but think so often, and especially in the case of having children with disabilities, it is ever evolving. So it's it's so important to have the balance of the both and the and, and then feeling okay about it. I think in theory, I could come to the conclusion pretty early on that, you know, we can be sad and happy. We can be just all, all of these different conflicting emotions, but it took me a long time to be okay with that. It took me mm-hmm. a long time to like settle into that. And mm-hmm. I just, I love this reminder. And, and I think too, w- with this mentality specifically, it eliminates that like toxic positivity part mm-hmm. where I think a lot of people get caught in right now of just wanting it to be that everything is okay. Like everything looks fine here. And it doesn't have to be that or, you know, the complete opposite. But yeah, I think it's really important to find that middle ground because with the both and, it is a mentality and you do have to work for it. I don't think this is something that just comes naturally. So I love just your example of like having to really take that time. This is over a year of really working through this and, you know, picking out those emotions and then coming to a place of contentment with them. And I think it's wonderful. So thank you for sharing. Yes, definitely. So then the last one I have here is I have taught myself to remember what is happening instead of only focusing on what isn't. And I think this is probably a big one that, you know, is so applicable really to any human being. 
but to anyone who's a parent as well. And I think it even gets even more specific when you are a parent of a child with special needs. There are a lot of different discussions and meetings and data and charts and things that show what isn't happening with your child. And that can be just really discouraging. That's a hard a hard mindset to constantly be in when you are noticing, when you're aware of what should be happening and you know what isn't, that's really hard. So I have, again, tried to be really intentional to always remind myself, you know, not ignore what isn't happening and set goals and things like that, but also always make sure that I am remembering or talking about and, you know, at least bringing up what is happening. And Lexi, I listened to one of your other podcast episodes with Amber, How My Child Changed Me. So for anyone listening to this one, if you haven't listened to Amber's episode, definitely give that a listen at some point because she talks a lot about this in in her episode. And I just feel like she covered it so beautifully. I don't need to reiterate a ton. But again, it is so much more productive and just just positive for your own mindset and your own mentality if you can focus on what is happening. Before the weekend before Arlo's diagnostic evaluation, we had it coming up on a Monday and I distinctly remember sitting down with a friend of mine for coffee on Saturday. And she is another huge blessing in my life. She is also a mom who has a child who's on the autism spectrum. And she was years ahead of me in this and knew what I was going through, but also is, was down the road far enough to be able to just kind of give me some advice and things like that. And I am so, so grateful that she and I had this conversation when we did, because I distinctly remember sitting there with her. She was telling me kind of the first time I was hearing it, hey, you're going to be talking a lot over the next couple of days about what isn't happening and what you aren't seeing from Arlo. Definitely make sure you never lose sight of what is happening. And I have so taken that with me from that conversation on. And I think that is just huge mentality wise too. So again, Amber and Lexi went into this beautifully and did such a great job. I don't need to say much more, but I will say some of the ways that I do that after we got his diagnosis, I started looking back through, you know, my hundreds, thousands of pictures and videos that I've taken on my phone throughout Arlo's life. And I ended up, I, this wasn't always my plan, but I ended up compiling a video of his life pre-diagnosis showing when he hit milestones or you know, Amber kind of talks about inch stones, which are always such, such encouragement and just small little ways too. But I ended up making a video that shows him doing all of the things that a typically developing baby does, even though I knew in my mind, not all of those things happened in the same time frame that they typically would. But still, I put this video together showing basically all the things he could do and can do. And it was a really great project for me to focus on in the moment. And that has just been something I have tried to continue and will try to continue for the rest of his life. I also make, for both of my kids, I put together yearly birthday videos when we're celebrating their birthday with pictures and videos from the year before. And I feel like that is always just such a fun and like joy filled project because it does remind me of like, okay, 
again, this last year was hard, but look at all the sweet, wonderful things that did happen. And it just is such a great way to reflect and to feel really thankful and make sure that I'm not forgetting all of the good things that are happening. And then the last thing that I do, I am big into journaling, to writing down my thoughts. I write down a lot of my prayers. But I also really love that because it's such a physical reminder and it's something I can look back on and read and see, oh my gosh, you know, in whatever year I wrote this, I was worried about this and this and this and look where we are now or look how it has resolved or look what we know now and how much better off we are because of what we know now and things like that. So I think journaling is another really great way to keep in mind what is happening and again, just help with that mentality and not allow yourself to get stuck in what's not happening, but really focus on and be thankful for the things that are, because there always are things that are still happening. They might not be as apparent, and again, they might not be as typical as a list for other kids, but there always is good that is there, and there are wonderful things happening. Mm, yes, Molly. Well, I love that. I think it is just such a nod to the beauty of staying present, and I think that is so, so important in our lives as people, but then especially as parents raising children with disabilities to be able to stay present. But I love how you also were able to kind of like interweave that with the presentness and also being reflective too, instead of it just being like, what is good right now or what is hard right now, but also being able to like look back over a year or whatever amount of time and to be able to see that and that's that point where you have to look for it and I love that you've just become so intentional about that and I think it's become a part of your motherhood journey and making it you know kind of a yearly thing or even like with journaling a you know daily or weekly I don't know how much you journal but just having that be such a (laughs) such a commitment to your life and your journey. And I want to say really quick, one more thing too, that you talked about that I feel like I could make a whole episode about, but I love the small glimpse you gave us into having a friend Mm. a little bit ahead of you in the journey. Yes, I think that is invaluable. And if there's anyone out there who wants to be my ahead of me in the journey friend slash (laughs) mentor, send me a message. But it is it is huge, and I think it is such an important part of just being able to have that perspective. So, all right. Well, Molly, thank you so much. And I, I really was just blown away by your insight and your ability to articulate this topic with us. You are so well-spoken, and I think you have such a light and beautiful way of explaining where you were versus where you are, and I really am just so honored we got a glimpse into your story and learning more about the mentalities that have helped you on your journey, and it's been really impactful for me, and I'm just really, really proud of you as a friend and as a mother to Arlo and Rosie. You are just a gem of a human and I'm just really thankful for you coming on the podcast today oh thank you Lexi I loved being a part of it and love what you're doing here so ditto to you my friend you are absolutely rocking it (laughs) oh thank you cool well thank you all so much for joining me and Molly on this episode today your presence truly means the world to me I hope Molly's candid thoughts and insights resonated with you as much as they did with me 
And to stay connected, please follow me on Instagram at Disability Parenting Pod for updates on upcoming episodes and real and unfiltered posts that are sure to make you feel seen. Thank you all again so much for being such a big part of this Disability Parenting Podcast community. Keep an eye out for upcoming episodes and remember, your story is our story. Until next time.